This is the story of a house. It's near the centre of the German city of Chemnitz in the east, near the Czech border. And on the face of it, it's a totally ordinary old house on a plain-looking street. But it's not an ordinary house, because within its walls, it holds more than a century of German history. Built in the 1800s, when Germany was ruled by a Kaiser, an emperor, it survived the First and Second World Wars, even as Hitler's army marched across Europe and Allied bombing destroyed nearly half of the city. And it remained standing as the east of Germany became the GDR and was walled off and run as a socialist state. It remained standing as Chemnitz was renamed to honour Karl Marx and became Karl Marxstadt. And in the 50s, the city and its residents were celebrated as being at the vanguard of a new era in German politics. The people who live here do not look back, the president said at the time, but look forward to a new and better future. And perhaps that remains true, just not quite in the way that you'd expect. Because Chemnitz is now reckoning with the return of a dark force, one that has deep links to the darkest period in German history, but which is now reformulating, reshaping itself, and reshaping not only itself, but the whole of German politics. Because for over a decade now, the city has been home to a far-right extremist movement, a movement that saw 2015, the year that the Chancellor Angela Merkel welcomed over a million migrants to Germany with the words, Wir schaffen das, we can do this, as a tipping point. Because from this derelict old house, a group of neo-Nazis are organising. In 2018, 8,000 supporters gathered here and marched on the city. And as elections loom in September, the residents of this house could be the torchbearers of a newly popular and newly powerful far-right movement in Germany. So the question is, what should be done with them and what should be done with this house? I'm Basha Cummings, and you're listening to The Slow Newscast. With reporter Sean Williams, I'm going to tell you the story of the Nazis next door. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. So let's start off. Sean, why don't you describe the house to me? Yeah, it's only a five-minute walk from Chemnitz city centre, past a shopping mall, over some tram tracks, uh, to the building at Brauhausstrasse Nummer 6, which is Brewery Street 6. It's a nice enough old place. It's 19th century, brown bricks, pretty faded facades. But it sits in a pretty odd spot. It's detached. 
separated on all sides by green from these cream-coloured housing blocks that popped up across the city in the 1950s to rebuild the city from ruin. Those balconies now look onto the house. They're like box seats at a theatre, but they can't see much. Its windows are mirrored and shut, and there's barely any noise. The Chinese call places like this nail houses, homes whose owners refuse to make way for the new and wind up alone, sticking out awkwardly like a stray nail. I went there on a hot, sticky afternoon, and the only sound was kids playing football nearby. Some folks were smoking cigarettes on their balconies, and they were staring at me as I walked up to the house, pressed the button marked lawyer, and I got buzzed into one of the country's most controversial homes. They are journalists? Take me inside the house. What's it like? Well, the first thing you notice is that there's not a lot of stuff in it. The floors are bare. The steps, the stairs that you walk up, they're bare concrete as well. There's plastic sheeting all over whatever there is in the house. Nothing to indicate that this place is somewhere that's lived in. In fact, it looks a bit like an empty squat. And the only real room that's got any decoration or furnishing is a pretty small office on the second floor with a desk in the middle and on the desk all of these legal documents strewn everywhere very haphazardly to the side there's another tiny room out of which pops a guy called Michael Brook uh, he's the first guy I see and he's this big Jim Bunny neo-Nazi from the western city of Dortmund who was alleged to have moved to Chemnitz and I'm here because I want to find out what the place is which is a house at the heart of a storm in the middle of a city which has become the epicentre of an extreme right movement that is in danger of enveloping Germany. And so you're making your way through this notorious house. You've already come across a pretty well-known neo-Nazi called Michael Brook, but you're really there to meet one guy who maybe matters more than most of them, a guy called Martin. Tell me about him. Martin has been there since 2009, so he's been there quite some time. He's slim. He's got a little paunch, he's got a wispy grey-black beard, and he looks quite diminutive, but his views are anything but. Yeah, I was born here in Chemnitz when it still was Karl-Marx-Stadt, and yeah, we are, family was opposition in communist times, so I was no member of the communist youth organization, though I learned very early to, to be or not to be afraid that a big majority is uh, has another opinion uh, than me i learned doesn't mean they are right <laughs> he's a chemnitz city councillor and a convicted holocaust denier he leads a small party called free saxony and here he is singing a traditional folk song to some of his followers Some people see Martin as a bulwark against what they feel is a is a, a government that doesn't listen to them, that is imposing things on them. Other people see him as something far more sinister, and many people just outright call him a neo-Nazi. 
but that isn't quite how he sees himself. It's for me personally not such a big problem. As far as I know, that's not true. I think uh, as one who says we need uh, no um, less police and I think even that Saxony should uh, depart a bit from, from Germany. I would have been imprisoned uh, as the first in, in Nazi Germany. <laughs> so it's a joke to call me Nazi. But yeah, that's the... The discussing culture in Germany that has died. If if someone has a critics on the situation, okay, maybe you should discuss with him. But if you don't want to discuss, you just say, oh, he's an AC. So discussing is over. What goes on behind the house's doors is still a bit of a mystery. Martin definitely runs his lawyer's office out of there. He's tried to turn it into a clubhouse, a bar, but he's been fought through the courts by people on the left wing who've managed to convince city authorities that they shouldn't allow him to get an alcohol license, for example, and other things like that. It's definitely true that they've also attacked the house with paint, graffiti, they've smashed the windows, uh, they've protested loudly outside. So at the moment, maybe one of the reasons why it does look so bare bones and it does look so squat-like is that actually there's been a big fight over what it can be. It's definitely true that um, far-right figures are coming and going through the through the house. Uh, I saw this guy, Michael Brook, who was sort of alleged to be in Chemnitz, and, I, and he was the first guy I saw. So it's pretty clear that this house has become uh, an epicenter for, for extreme-right politics in the city. But it's not the only Nazi house in Chemnitz. I actually took a drive around with a guy called Johannes, who's a local journalist who tracks the far-right. Johannes isn't his real name, by the way. He hides it to protect his safety. Very cool. One of the houses that we visited on our tour was a regular pre-war building, similar to the one at Brauhausstrasse. And from the outset, you'd never know that this place was the home of a a pretty feared right-wing biker gang. But take a little look around and it becomes a little clearer. So we popped our heads around the back garden and there's a plywood clubhouse made out of, yeah, just bits of bits of wood and pretty, pretty prefab stuff. Then on the post box, there's a sign saying Germania, which was Hitler's name for his post-war German racial utopia. So Germania being, well, a sort of ultra-nationalist, phrase right because of the it was like what Hitler wanted to build in Germany or something yeah I think it's used for many and then across the street is a car with the the number 88 in the back window which neo-nazis use as HH or Heil Hitler so there might not be swastikas hanging in banners from the windows but it's there and it's it's very real and, and signs like this are all over the city. So how does a man like Martin, a city councillor, end up in this derelict, squat-like house in the middle of Chemnitz? What is it about this place? Well, to understand that question fully, you need to go all the way back to the times of the German Democratic Republic, or East Germany, uh, the communist state that broke off uh, after the Second World War. and. During that time, for almost half a century, there was no free speech. Political dissent was squashed. And 
That lasted all the way up until the end of the 1980s when protesters gathered outside the government's office in the main square of Chemnitz. Gabby Engelhart was a young woman at the time of the protests and she gathered around that Politburo building in the middle of town just to hop and a skip away from Martin's office and house to help bring down communism in East Germany. But with it came this potent wave of neo-Nazi fascism that found a home in the city and Gabby blames these German leaders. I would argue and I think many people agree with me that it was also the structural racism in the GDR and also that East Germany or the government claimed to be, uh, the GDR was claimed to be an anti-fascist state and uh, we have to say that denazification was much better but it was not deep enough and so we had uh, many former Nazis who could join uh, the ruling party, who could join the army and and forces of the state. And so it, it, what, there was no open discussion about fascism or racism. It was just declared that we are an anti-fascist and anti-racist state. And there was no discussion about uh, what our fathers and grandfathers did during the Nazi regime. Uh, as it was in West Germany uh, in in the 68 and 69 movement. We didn't have that and we didn't have this discussion. And so when whenever Nazis attacked someone or racists attacked someone, it was not just said it is stupid boys who did this or it's just just a single person who did this. But under the veneer, there was a movement that developed and um an ideology that was kept alive for the whole time. So when Germany reunified, it sounds like there was this bubbling corner of far-right sentiment, even fascist sentiment, that was just sort of swept under the carpet and ignored. Yeah, and within too long it became fatal. Uh, The National Socialist Underground, this neo-Nazi terror group uh, responsible for the murders of 10 people in the early 2000s, they actually hid out in a post-war Chemnitz apartment block uh, until they are arrested. Police discover pipe bombs and neo-Nazi propaganda in a garage rented under Chepa's name. Prosecutors issue an arrest warrant for Bernhard, Mundlos and Chepa, but they've already gone underground using Vorleben's car to flee to Chemnitz. German authorities believe they were behind the so-called kebab murders, in which 10 people were killed over the past decade. The killers had sent a bizarre video to the police with pictures of the murder victims intercut with the Pink Panther movie. The authorities, of course, they ignored again the danger of the right-wing developments. Uh, This is where where they could start to, um, to infiltrate society. They tried to mobilize in the big towns, Chemnitz, Leipzig, Dresden, but that was not so successful. So they started to to get uh, into the small communities around Chemnitz. So and and there they took part in the in the normal life. Yeah, they 
fire brigade and and sports clubs and everywhere and, and tried to establish themselves as nice people. And they also bought houses and we, we can see that today that there are so many uh, Nazi buildings here <laughs> or, or buildings owned by Nazis. So in the aftermath of reunification, as Gabby says, the government allowed a growing Nazi movement to bubble up. It was blind in the right eye, as Germans say. And that allowed houses like Martin's Nail House to grow and provide a place to spread their influence. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Gemma Ware, host of The Conversation Weekly Podcast. Each week, I get to speak to some of the smartest people in the world as they connect their new research to the biggest news and issues of today. You'll get a bit of everything from how women are changing North Korea to the emerging science of interoception, our sixth sense, to the importance of intellectual humility. Follow The Conversation Weekly for new episodes every Thursday and read more stories direct from academic experts every day on theconversation.com. So you've painted this pretty remarkable picture of this derelict old building standing alone, the past and the present almost physically facing off against each other. So what is it that Martin is fighting against and how much power does he wield? Well, what he's been fighting against has changed over the years. Yeah, then was the the change, the, the peaceful revolution, how is it called, in 89. And it was a big political awakening for me and I was very excited and we thought, oh, that's the thing we ever wanted. And um, yeah, then after some years we noticed, oh, no, maybe it's not. <laughs> he began shifting his views when Germany got the euro and then again when the migrants arrived in 2015. He thought these things were undemocratic, something he shares with right-wing populists across Europe, including the alternative for Germany, the IFD, which is a major political force in the city and all over Germany. After 2015 there was a backlash from the German right wing. And no more so was there a backlash than in Chemnitz. Uh, and among those people, Martin was one of the most active in decrying Angela Merkel's open doors policy. Yeah, for example, it's one of the differences with uh, AFD. They say we, we should close the frontiers and control. We say, no, no, we don't need to close. I don't, I don't want closed frontiers because uh, I had closed frontiers when I lived in GDR. I couldn't go anywhere except of the Czech Republic. 
So we were prisoners in this country. I don't want this again, not in this direction, not in this direction. We say, okay, just give people who come here, they couldn't have, could have a shelter and they could have some meal. If they really refugees, they will be glad about But if they came for adventure or for getting money for doing nothing, they will very quickly understand that they are wrong here. And I think that will solve the problems and, and not uh, closed frontiers. Um, so, in your, in your opinion, then, so the majority of people who came here a few years ago, mm. they came here for economic reasons. Yes, of course, of course. Even from because. Syria, Afghanistan? Yes, because uh, there's a, a very wide, uh, very far way from Afghanistan here. The most um, refugees, for example, for from Afghanistan, they go to Pakistan, they go to Iran, and uh, they even find jobs in Iran. So if you just want to save your life, there's no reason for the big journey from Afghanistan up to Germany. I think I would understand if there would be a big problem in Poland. Don't know what. Of course, they would come here because it's a neighboring country. But it's no reason to come from Afghanistan to Germany. To use the Chechen comparison then, why don't yeah. they go to Georgia or Armenia or Iran? Yeah, of course, there's the same reasons, of course. But the difference is here in Chemnitz. I have to say it clearly. It's just for Chemnitz that they behave very good because... They have very, very patriarchal uh, structure. So that suppression of this racism bubbling beneath the surface that's gone on through communism throughout the 90s and the early 2000s, it erupted. And at the heart of it was Martin Coleman. Thousands of far-right demonstrators, many chanting Nazi slogans, have been marching through the city of Chemnitz. German authorities in Saxony are struggling to contain far-right extremism in the region. Temporarily losing control of the streets in this violent revolt against Germany's refugee and immigration policy. So, in 2018, there's a festival in the centre of Chemnitz. In fact, there's a festival on the square right under the nose of the Karl Marx bust. And during this festival, there's a lot of drinking, there's, a, there's some violent outbreaks, and during the, the violence, a young Cuban-German man is stabbed to death. Uh, and his two assailants are identified as Kurdish men uh, who are recent arrivals to the country. And off the back of that, protests erupt in the city. Led by Martin and a few other far-right figures, 8,000 people come to the square screaming, chanting, cheering slogans, saying things like Ausländer raus, which means foreigners out, and really pointing the finger of blame at the open doors policy and the foreigners who have just arrived in Germany. Many immigrants in the city are scared. Lots of people in the neighbourhood by the house, for example, refused to speak to me. They were too scared to speak. But Coleman, he actually said that the 2018 protests were peaceful. It was, yeah bit of bit of wild but not too much it was uh, peaceful at most but even when this march to, took place there were some immigrants that uh, provoked very much and came close to people and maybe making uh, films by with their uh, cell phones and so on and yeah then it 
was one situation that became uh, known as the Chemnitz people hunt or I don't know. Uh, uh, it was just such a situation that uh, they were, uh, they provoked it very much. And then just uh, some, some guys came and, and made, made them run away. That was all. And uh, one took a took a video of this, and it was shown worldwide. Oh, in Chemnitz, immigrants are hunted through the city, but uh, it was actually not. <laughs> that was really happened, but uh, that some immigrants had to run for some short distance. That was a bad thing, and uh, nazi riots. Wah. And here he's actually hopping on the comments of the former head of domestic intelligence in Germany, a guy called Hans-Georg Maaßen, who said he thought phone footage of right-wing violence was faked without any evidence to back that claim. Maaßen got demoted soon after. Of course, to folks like Martin, that was free speech being muzzled all over again. Maaßen has been in the news this week, by the way, <laughs> rallying against so-called globalists. So his political views are pretty clear. But this gets to the heart of why we're telling the story of this house, doesn't it? It's a question of why are these places, these assembly points for the far right, where arguably protests that tip into violence are being organised, why are they allowed to stay open? Well, there's a couple of answers to that. One would be that Germany has an extremely zealous view of free speech, uh, apart from Holocaust denial, which Martin has been convicted of. Germany is a country that's lived through the Gestapo and the Stasi, the East German secret police. And free speech has always been curtailed in those times. And you could argue that dem democracy in East Germany especially is an extremely new experiment. So the idea of free speech in a democracy is sacrosanct. So views ideas, groups even, that, that might not be tolerated in other countries, have found a way to, to eke out an existence in Germany. And there's, there's also a simpler reason as well, which is that by separating themselves and sort of decanting these different groups into these houses across the city, they're keeping the group small and they're sort of keeping the, the attention of the authorities divided between different places. So there's no one authority that can say, okay, this is where Chemnitz Nazis are hanging out. There are a few different places that all act as the heads of different small groups that deliberately stay so, so that they don't get picked up by the, uh, by the government. And when we say Chemnitz Nazis, I mean, when you say the term Nazi to me, I think of guys waving swastikas, praising Hitler probably with shaved heads. Is that what we're talking about here? We're talking about something very similar, but we're also talking about something newer, uh, a bit more subtle and a bit more sinister. So Martin, as those legal documents strewn all over his desk show, is that he's found a way to frame his far-right activism as a form of free speech, freedom-fighting, legal battles. And in that way, he's really the brain's Uh, of what is, in a sense, um, just old-school skinhead neo-Nazism dressed up in a new social media era. We would say he's a Nazi. No? He, he, what, what he does is he wants uh, to create a different kind of society and he wants to build from that on the streets. So what he does is he, he, uh, he uses racism and the nationalism and chauvinism to... Uh, 
divide society and he, he tries to establish uh, forces in the street. Yeah? And this is what they now do. They call themselves anti-fascists and they call us as uh, fascists. He's an anti-Semite and um, he also defends as a lawyer Holocaust denier and uh, he is, yes, yes, I would say that. He's a Nazi, a neo-Nazi. And what is the relationship between Martin and Martin's crowd and this neo-Nazi house and the bigger movement in far-right politics in Germany more generally with the AFD and how they've really shaken up the German political landscape in the last five years? Well, it's a bit like the butterfly effect. So you've got Martin and this kind of attempt to bring extreme right and neo-Nazis over to Chemnitz. But to illustrate the point, I mean, he's impossible because he kind of drags the entire city and the whole conversation to the right himself. I'll give you an example, right? So the a prominent member of the local AFD, he's been spotted in the Nazi houses with Coleman and others. There's a far-right element of the AFD itself. It's called Der Flügel or the wing. And that's been getting increasingly popular and extreme. In some rare cases, the AFD has now gone into co-rule with the CDU, which is Angela Merkel's centre-right party and Germany's biggest in parts of Germany. And now, to bring in all background, who's running for the CDU? Hans-Georg Maaßen, who's the same intelligence guy who said Martin's followers weren't chasing migrants in 2018 after all. And the CDU leadership is terrified that he's going to join hands with the AFD in his chosen constituency, which isn't far from Chemnitz in the former East too. And that's important because there are elections coming up in September. It's the end of Angela Merkel's 15-year leadership. So there's really a role here for Martin and his followers to play in the political landscape. How successful do you think they're going to be? Well, the AFD's popularity has shrunk a little since its height in 2019. It really just hasn't been able to back up its policies on immigration with anything else. But it's still likely to do well in Saxony, and especially in Chemnitz, where actually over a fifth of the city voted for it before. So to some people, Martin might seem like a small-time rabble-rouser, a fringe character. But what he really represents is a really important shifting of the political debate in Germany and a, a widening of the chasm between the political extremes. So the CDU, the SPD centre-right and centre-left respectively, they seem to be losing a bit of power. We could have a green chancellor at the next election. We could have an increasing power of the AFD. Either way, the far right is having a bit of a renaissance in the country. And people like Martin and cities like Chemnitz are going to become the battlegrounds in a, in a changing and newer German political landscape in the near future. There's a feeling about Germany, I think in Britain and other countries around the world, that it's stable, that it's centric, that, that it's straight down the line and that it's governed by rules. But that's not the case and history doesn't bear this out. It's lurched from left to right to violence, from autocracy to dictatorship to emperors throughout its entire recent history. I travelled to Chemnitz in the first place to find out more about this house and its importance in the city and who this guy was that was holed away in this small office in the middle of it. In many ways, the story isn't about Martin Coleman at all. It's about the house. This house that Martin has made an epicentre of Chemnitz's far right. It's a talisman of the extremism that's actually baked into German history. It survived emperors, 
It's seen the hopes of the Weimar Republic crumble and the death and destruction of Hitler's rule. A communist utopia emerged and died around it, and neo-fascists now call it home. At each turn, extremism went unconfronted, without dialogue, spreading behind closed doors just like the ones I visited all over Chemnitz. These now houses are nothing new, and if Germany can't confront them, it may be doomed to repeat the failures of its past, and the house will likely be standing when that happens. Sean, thank you so much. Thanks for listening this week and thanks for coming with us on this pretty dark journey into German politics. This episode was reported by Sean Williams and produced by Matt Russell and original music and sound design was by Tim Clay. And as ever, as I say every week, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a review and leave us some feedback or get in touch and let us know what you think. And there's also something else that you can do if you find what we do interesting. The newsroom where I work, which is called Tortoise, is a membership organisation and that means that you can join us and get more involved in our stories and our ideas. And crucially, you can listen to our podcasts totally ad-free. Just go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and for a half price discount, just use my code BASHA50. That's spelt B-A-S-I-A 5050. Thank you and we'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hi, I'm Gemma Ware, host of the Conversation Weekly podcast. Each week, I get to speak to some of the smartest people in the world as they connect their new research to the biggest news and issues of today. You'll get a bit of everything from how women are changing North Korea to the emerging science of interoception, our sixth sense, to the importance of intellectual humility. Follow the Conversation Weekly for new episodes every Thursday and read more stories direct from academic experts every day on theconversation.com.